If you have a Bible, would you open to the book of Isaiah? It's a mammoth book in the Old Testament, the probably the largest volume of writing for uh, an Old Testament prophet is in the book of Isaiah, and we're in chapter 26. Today will be the final sermon in a series that we have been in, Treasuring Christ in Our Decision-Making. And so for those of you who have only joined us for this series, just know like we usually take a book of the Bible and just work right through it. Uh, We took a brief break for the summer to do a series on prayer for three weeks and now decision-making for four. Next Sunday, Pastor Ranjur will uh, bring us back to Romans and we will be in Romans chapter 12. So I'm looking so forward to that as we contemplate and think about in Romans chapter 12 how to form and nurture a gospel culture here at Treasuring Christ Church. So I encourage you to read through Romans 12 this week and allow that to encourage you. But we will have one more kind of topical sermon, uh, which means we'll be kind of bouncing around to multiple passages and really trying to summarize this idea of what does it look like to honor Jesus in decision making, something that we all have to do every day. So let's uh, look at the passage, Isaiah 26. I'm going to read it out loud and then I'll pray And we will dive right in. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. The word of the living God, the Holy Spirit, speaks to us through these words. You keep him in perfect peace. Can you say that word? Peace. Whose mind is stayed or fixed on you because... He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord. Let's say that together. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord is an everlasting rock. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need you. And I plead for you in this moment to come in power. Father, we don't just need our minds filled up with facts. We need our hearts to swell with love for Jesus. We need our eyes to be open to see that Jesus is enough and beautiful and all-satisfying and that shaping our entire life around Him and His agenda is the greatest path for joy we could ever walk. Father, I pray that You would protect us from hardening our hearts. You would protect us from making this simply just a mental exercise and that, Father, You would come and give us faith, give us love, give us affection for Jesus. So, Lord, we plead for You to move. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Trust is the point. If you want to know what is the point of decision making, trust is the point. If you want to know what the point of life is, trust is the point. The military will train men and women to be so ready that when they get on the battlefield, there's a sense of confidence that you can trust the person to your left or right. The mission is too great. You want to know that that person has your back. The military even has like this sacred commitment that they leave no one behind. 
And that commitment is meant to be, I am so for you, I will not leave you. It's a commitment of trust. As football is beginning up again, I do enjoy football season and basketball season. And as football happens, team sports are this way. You've got to be able to trust. Trust the person who's in front of you. Trust the people who are beside you or behind you. Trust that they're going to be where they're supposed to be. Do what they're supposed to do. And to the degree that that trust erodes... It will affect your confidence and your success. Many times when a team is doing poorly at something, you will even hear commentators speak to the fact that they've lost the locker room the coaches have. Or they don't have confidence in each other. They don't trust each other. And when that happens, hear this. Where there isn't trust, there's hesitancy to act. You're cautious, you're timid, you're afraid because you don't trust. We know living life that trust can be broken. It can be broken in business partnerships, it can be broken in marriages, it can be broken in friendships, and here's why, this is not a newsflash, because every single person is weak, sinful, and limited. So even though we might be trustworthy in this area, we all have areas where we're not trustworthy. Where we can't deliver. The greatest news in all the world is that there is one who is trustworthy. There's one who has no character flaw at all. He doesn't have a bad day where now all of a sudden you don't know if he's going to come through. His character always holds up. He is never trustworthy in some areas and yet totally blows it in others. Jesus is the only one who at all times we can say, I trust you. I fully trust you. I'm all in because he always keeps his word. So if I could summarize the whole of the decision-making process, it's about trust. Trust the Lord. Listen to the overwhelming connection, and this is just a small little microscopic sampling of the Scriptures that connect our plans, our decision-making, our next steps to trusting in the Lord. Listen to Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, or that is, be where God has you, and be a friend to faithful living. Be a friend to faithfulness. I love that image. Psalm 37.5, commit your way to the Lord. What's it say right after that? Trust in Him, and He will act. Trust. Connected to God's acting on our behalf. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. (laughs) You're like, okay, translate. Some trust in their neighbor. Some trust in their car. Some trust in their job. But we trust. Our ultimate trust is in the name of the Lord our God because everything else will not deliver. You see how trust is so intimately connected to how we live our everyday life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. One of my favorite verses, a very popular verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
your heart is safe with the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll do what? Make your paths straight. The whole point of straight walking, what is next, is trusting in the God who holds your next step. Trust that He loves you. Trust that He's always doing right by you. Trust that He is with you even when you feel alone. Trust that He is stronger than your greatest enemy or your biggest obstacle. Trust that He is forgiving and that His mercy is greater than your sin. Trust that His ways are best. Trust Him even when you don't understand. He can be trusted. And Isaiah 26.3 says this. If you trust in Him, then you will set your mind upon Him. And as you fix your mind upon His goodness and His love and His forgiveness and His unshakable character, He will keep you in perfect peace. There's no greater gift that God can give you than a heart that is not anxious, but is at rest. A heart of peace. That's why we read this verse today. He will keep you. He can be trusted to keep you in perfect peace. Fix your mind upon Him because you trust Him. Who are you trusting in? You're trusting in the Lord who is an everlasting rock. Solid, firm, immovable, unshakable. He's trustworthy. This is... The summary message of the whole of the Scriptures. The whole of the Bible. The whole of our walk with God. And therefore, the whole process of decision making. So as we dive in here, we're going to do a little bit of summarizing of where we've been. Flesh that out a little bit more. But with this one main goal. Trust is the point. So if you remember... The process of decision-making we summarized in two words. If we're going to treasure Christ in decision-making, we are going to do that through two W's. Anybody remember what they are? First one? Okay. I'm glad we're summarizing today. So, those of you who are online, it was total crickets. Okay, here we go. Two words. Worship and wisdom. Thank you. Be bold. Worship and wisdom. Now, Let's just walk through what that looks like. Worship is daily seeking our satisfaction in Jesus. Through the word and prayer. By the Holy Spirit. That we might trust and rest in our God the Father. It's this daily seeking God. Trusting that he speaks through his word. And that he'll always be with us. To give us rest. That's worship. Wisdom. Where do we get wisdom? Where do we get this sense of walking in a wise way? Well, we get it through multiple things. The first primary way is through His Word. So seeking and expecting the Spirit to move and to speak through His Word. Counsel. Seeking Spirit-filled counselors, especially from the church. Circumstances. Asking for God to move through circumstances. And finally, the agenda is love. That is, asking what would love do. So, let's go back through it. We'll work through it. Let's focus on this one more time. Worship. What is worship? 
As I said, daily seeking our satisfaction in Jesus through time in the Word and prayer by the supply of the Holy Spirit that we might trust and rest in God. There's nothing more important than this idea of worship. That is finding our satisfaction in God. Nothing more important than spending time with Jesus. And so what helps us in decision making would be one word, routines. Routines. What helps you to not be overwhelmed by decision making are routines. How do I begin my day? I seek to begin my day with the routine of sitting with Jesus in the Word. That's my aim. Whether it be 10 minutes or whether it be an hour, I seek to spend time with God in the Word and prayer day after day. And you develop routines. Another routine I have is that I come to church every Sunday that I can. Less on vacation, less I'm sick, I gather here. It's a routine that says, I need you and I need the Word of God. Seek to be consistent in gathering with the people of God. Here at Treasuring Christ Church, we do that through community groups. Seeking to be encouraged through one another. We develop routines, time in the Word, being a part of God's people, eating healthy routines or exercise routines. These things are routines that just help us think how to live. Sometimes our routines, we set boundaries. Not because God will only accept us if we set a boundary, but because we know our weakness and we need to set boundaries. I know my weakness with coffee. So, drink a couple cups in the morning, one in the afternoon. If I break those, I usually know that I'm probably either sleep deprived or I'm becoming a little obsessive. Boundaries are to help me understand my heart. Same with spending. Some of us create what's called a budget. The budget is a boundary that says, I need to try to spend only this much so that I don't go into debt. And then those areas that we regularly overspend in, they're kind of flashing signs that say, hey, maybe this has become a little too much. Boundaries, they're helpful for decision making. These routines, they can help with thousands of weekly decisions so that you don't experience decision fatigue, but that you can set a path. This is what I do each day, and we just roll after it. But what about the big decisions? What about the big decisions, the things that seem to come out of left field or the, the major, mid-major, major issues that hit us? This is where I think the series on prayer and the series on decision-making collide. That this whole idea of worship and decision-making is that we are... Huh, my watch just started yelling at me. I don't know if you heard that, but I heard it. As you make major decisions, prayer and decision-making is crucial. We talk in our home about three types of prayers. Thank you prayers, help me prayers, help them prayers. Prayers that don't just precede meals or precede how we begin, but prayers that are interwoven throughout the day. Before a meeting, I will just say, oh God, help me. Help me have wisdom. Help me walk in love. Help the person that I'm meeting with to feel like they can just share what's on their heart. Help. Prayer. 
woven in throughout the day. That's how God builds our strength. It's the groundwork of our life and our faithfulness as we walk with God. The less we are with Him in prayer and in His Word, walking in humility, the less confidence we will have in decision making or should have. It's a relationship with God. He wants to shape us through time with Him. Here are, some, here are a few summary statements from all the four sermons that we've had. A few summary statements that hopefully stick with you when it comes to decision making. He cares more about who you become while you decide than about what you decide. God cares as much about the journey as He does the end decision. He cares more about who you become while you decide than about what you decide. He cares as much about the journey as he does the indecision. Here's another one. Decision making, especially in large decisions, should make us more prayerful, not less. If you follow the fact that I'm trying to push us to not sit paralyzed, but to make courageous decisions you might, be able, you might be tempted to make decision-making mechanical. I just think it's a general rule that decision-making overall should make us more prayerful, not less. But for those of us who are bent towards indecisiveness or paralyzation, oh no, what do I do? Just this fear of, am I going to do the wrong thing? I want to encourage you. You should ask, am I being courageous and trusting God's providence his providence is he's king over all things and he's in control of all things and he is a father who loves you and he works all things according to the counsel of his will you'll trust that he's got you so if you're tempted to be paralyzed ask am i being courageous and trusting god's providence it can be summarized by those five areas. Do you remember those five areas from John MacArthur in his book, God's Will Found? Are you saved? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Are you spirit-filled? That is, are you with God in the Word and in prayer? Are you sanctified? That is, are you really fighting against sin? Like you're not running headlong into sin. You're really trying to walk with Him. Are you willing to suffer? No matter the cost. God, I want to do what you want me to do no matter what it costs. Are you seeking counsel? If you're doing those five things, then do whatever you want to do. That's the key to decision making. Just do something, as the one author entitled his book. Because if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. You can trust him. That's the point. So that's worship. As we think about decision-making, that's worship. Well, let's move to wisdom. Two words that summarize decision-making or what? Is it just so that I can see if you're awake? Okay, first word, worship. Second word, wisdom. And we see wisdom primarily in these ways. His word, and then secondarily through counsel, circumstances, and making sure our agenda is love. So how do we cultivate wisdom is the continual question. The Word of God is where wisdom is found. And the Word of God is where the Holy Spirit primarily speaks. The Word of God is the only place He promises 
to speak to us. He can speak in other ways, but it is the only place He promises to speak to us. So, we have a decision to make. What do we do? We're saying that we spend time with God in His Word. And we're going to bring back up a passage that we went through last week, Proverbs chapter 2, which tells us that we seek wisdom in the Word. Let's read the passage here. I'll read it to you. It says, My son or daughter, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out, not to know the future, but for insight into God's Word. If you call out for insight and raise your voice, oh God, help me understand. I remember one time I was in Minneapolis and we were studying and everybody in my class I felt like was much smarter than me. And I remember feeling so dumb and so alone and like I can't understand this. And I remember calling out, God, finally, at the end of myself, through tears, help me understand. I don't get this. And over time, through study, God helped me understand. He gave me understanding. The passage says, if, verse 4, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And you'll find the knowledge of God. That doesn't mean you're going to know everything that God knows. It means you're going to know more of Him and His ways. For the Lord gives wisdom. I want you to hear that. Like, He desires to give you a gift. He loves you. It's like the presence under the tree. He's just saying, go get it. I want to give you wisdom. And From His mouth which we have in the Scriptures, come knowledge and understanding. Now, if you're looking at that passage, two major things stand out. We are called to seek for insight and understanding and to seek for God and His Word like a hidden treasure. To go after it as something so valuable we can't live without it. But I want you to make sure and understand something. When we spend time in the Word of God, and I know this having gone through seminary school especially, you can begin to make God's Word a book of facts to learn rather than a gateway into a relationship with a living God who loves you. It can be about knowing facts which are helpful, but it can be twisted to be about some mental exercise rather than every single time you believe the Holy Spirit of the living God is alive on these pages and He desires and promises to speak to us through the Word. It's a relationship. It's this gateway into Narnia, so to speak. Like, you're going to meet with God through the Word. So when He says, call out for insight... And understanding what he is saying is, I want to give you such an understanding of me that you will trust in me no matter what wind blows your way. 
I want to give you such insight, such eyes to see me in the scriptures that your trust will be rock solid no matter the suffering you endure. Decision making, reading of scripture, it's about do you trust him? Trust in the Lord. He keeps you in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you. Inevitably, there will come times that the way we see and experience life seems at a minimum confusing, but at a maximum, it seems to be contradictory to the Scriptures. Have you ever felt that? Like you're going through things, and it's just like, how do I reconcile a good God with what I'm experiencing? I promise you, the Bible read in its entirety, the Bible studied, the Bible as God's Word soaked in has one resounding theme. When you and God differ, go with God. Because you can trust Him. He's trustworthy. Go with God. You can trust Him. He has always kept His Word. So as you read the Scriptures, see it as a journey walking in love. Acknowledge, I'm tiny, you have the answer. It's perfectly wonderful and normal to ask questions of God. Don't be afraid to ask questions. God, why is this? But I just encourage you, come to Him as a child, not a defense attorney. What does a child do? Daddy, I don't understand. Can you help me understand? A defense attorney puts God in the courtroom and has a beef with him and says, I'm going to convict you. We have to be careful. Questions are not the problem. The disposition of the human heart is what God wants us to do when our circumstances seem to run into something that seems to contradict what we thought about God, dear friends, trust Him. When He's saying call out for insight and understanding, He's not just saying no facts. He's saying know God so deeply that you can say, I trust Him. I trust Him. What's also interesting, I told you there were two major things that that passage, Proverbs 2, wants you to look at. One, call out to Him for insight and for wisdom. But the other is to seek God in His Word. Seek wisdom like a treasure. Right? Well, after I preached last week, a dear brother in the church, he came up to me and he said, I, I've known this, but it just struck me. And I just wanted to share it with you. And after he shared it, I was like, bro, that's really helpful. I'll probably use it in my sermon next week. So, here it lands, right here. And as I was talking to him, he highlighted this second aspect of, I think, the major teaching of Proverbs 2. Look at Proverbs 2, verse 4. If you seek it, that is wisdom, if you seek wisdom like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. Here's what's interesting about the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8 makes wisdom not just like things to know in your brain, but it personifies wisdom. Wisdom is a person whom we ultimately know from 1 Corinthians is Jesus himself. 
Jesus is our wisdom. So now we're not just seeking things in the brain. We're searching for a person, if you're following me so far. If you seek for him like silver, you could say, or you search for him as a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Now, the insight that struck my dear brother, he said, we know that fear means awe and reverence. But what is so fascinating here is fear is not something here that is primarily terror of a person's presence. Oh, he's scary. That's not the fear that we're talking about here. No, there's a reverence and an awe, but connected to wisdom, it's this. Fear is not the fear of God's presence, but actually it's the fear of God's absence in your life. He said, $1.3 billion lottery, if I told you in the field outside next to us was the $1.3 billion and I give a shovel to every one of you and I say, first one to find it gets it. First of all, I probably wouldn't have a lot of listeners left. We'd get up, we'd go out with shovels. Why? One is we would like that money, but two, we're afraid to not have it. Yes, we want it, but we're afraid not to have it. Same thing in the scriptures. Seek the Lord as your treasure. Yes, there is an awe about the fear of the Lord. But what he's speaking of here is you're afraid not because of his presence solely. Like, yes, he is holy, righteous, and good. You're afraid that you won't have him. You're afraid of his absence. You're afraid that he won't be with you. The summary here is trust him. Trust him. I don't want to live without you, so I seek you in the scriptures. I don't want to be without you. I want the fear of the Lord. So if you're following, we want to be wise. So that yes, we can make decisions, but that we can know God. We can know He's with us. But when I encourage you like to know the Bible, many of you, your first like default thought is, okay, commands, right? The Bible's filled with some rules, to-dos, things I got to do. That's what you think of when you think of the Bible. Many times. And what I think Proverbs 2 also wants us to do is if you look at the beginning of Proverbs 2, he says, Treasure up my commandments with you. There's a sense that he wants his people to love his commands, not hate them. So as you're seeking wisdom, you're in the word, you run across all these commands. How you view those commands is important for how you walk forward in decision making. If I were to mention the word command or rules, we think of do's and don'ts restriction to our life. Isn't that the temptation? Command equals restriction. Why? It's so binding. I want to be free. Okay. But as our hearts learn to trust God, something begins to flip to where the commands of God are not simply the do's and don'ts. They're the path to joy and peace. 
1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not a burden. They're not burdensome. They're not heavy. For many of us, when we hear God's commands, let's just be honest, they feel heavy. The Scriptures are saying, the more we spend with God and the more we realize the nature and character of God, the more we realize He will give us everything we need so that commands are no longer heavy and oppressive. They're the path to life and peace. It's almost like I was talking with one sister the other day. She said it was almost like when you go bowling and you get those bumpers that go in the, in the alleys, right? Like the most successful bowling is when you do bumper bowling. And you bowl, and that ball, which would normally go in the gutter, hits the bumpers, and it goes over. It hits the bumpers, and then, you know, goes right through and knocks the pins over. Bumper bowling. It's safer bowling. This is what it is to walk in the commands of God. It's the safest path. Oh, how it would revolutionize. It would revolutionize our living if commands were not restrictions of our freedom, but they were the safe places to walk in the embrace of God. Totally change our whole perspective. If commands were not the restrictions to our freedom, but they were the safe places to walk in the loving embrace of God. Picture a beautiful field. Beautiful field. My family makes fun of me a lot because I, I like... Sometimes the most restful thing would be for me to find a beautiful field and then just go run in it. And they're like, that's stupid. And I'm like, yeah, but I really, that would be a lot, that would be restful for me. I like that. Just the freedom to go in a field, nothing around, just to enjoy. Picture a beautiful field. It's wide open. And I tell you, you can only walk in these spots. And you're like, that's miserable. Stop it. It's a beautiful field. I want to go frolic. I want to go run. But then I tell you, it's a minefield. It's filled with landmines. Then all of a sudden you realize it's no longer restricting to say don't run there or step there. It's love. And this is what God is saying. The enemy wants to hide the danger and this present world of sin. The enemy wants to take this world of sin and make it as attractive as possible for you. But sin blows up your life. God's commands are the safe zones to protect you from destroying your life. His commands are the path of wisdom. And that's why when you see God attaching the word God's will to things, He's attaching it to commands in the Scriptures. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification, abstain from sexual immorality. Colossians chapter 1. This is the will of God for you that you bear fruit and produce love in walking in wisdom and knowledge. That you would walk in love. 
You want to know the will of God for you. Jesus tells us, Matthew chapter 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, verse 39, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the safe places. Those are green pastures for you to find the embrace of God and not blow up your life. When Jesus' commands are clear, like I had said before, Walk in what is clear. And you don't have to do it for acceptance. You do it from acceptance. That's the gospel. You don't go and obey in order to be loved. You do it because you are loved. So let's walk in wisdom. Now, as we walk here and think about this idea of walking in wisdom, I used three main ideas. Remember the phrases I used last week. We want to be spiritually sensitive, biblically discerning, and courageously decisive. Spiritually sensitive, biblically discerning, and courageously decisive. So when we talk about being spiritually sensitive, we have to remember, we expect the Spirit to speak through His Word and to work in our lives, but we don't expect Him to tell us the future. He doesn't promise to tell us the future. He promises to tell us He's with us. He promises to tell us commands. So I encourage you, don't be waiting around for some secret sense of God's will. Be sensitive to the Spirit and expect Him to work and to move, but expect Him to speak in His Word. Don't wait around and be paralyzed thinking God will tell you specifically what person to marry, what country to go to, what neighborhood to live in. This week, there was a pretty serious tragedy in my home. Our coffee pot broke. Flags go up. Serious warning signs happen. After many years, the coffee pot gave way. It woke me up in the middle of the night making the most horrendous clunking noise. And I go down and there's coffee all over the counter. It's dead. So, I didn't need to stop and pray. The decision was, we need a new coffee pot. So, I knew we needed one. So that morning, after I ran to McDonald's to get the $1 cup of coffee so that I could make it through my day for my wife and I, we drank our cof- a cup of coffee, I sat and I spent time in the Word, in prayer. And then we went about our day. That night, we looked on Amazon for some coffee pots, trying to figure out what to get. Finally, we narrowed it down between a few of them. Yesterday, I go out to get the coffee pot. On my way, I stop and I pray. I pray and I ask God that he would grant me wisdom and that I would spend money in a way that honors him. We show up at the store. There's two coffee pots I'm trying to decide between. Which one will I choose? I did not wait for an audible voice. My sons, my two oldest sons were with me because we were running some errands together. We ran the pros and cons list, right? Like, this one does this, this one does this, which one are we going to do? Then we ran through the grid of what's most loving because my wife had some preferences. So, 
Okay, by the end of the day, we weren't sure exactly which one to go with. We picked a coffee pot, paid for it, walked out the store. I did not wait for an audible voice. But I trusted God. I trusted God that he was with me, that he loves me. If I made a mistake and picked the wrong coffee pot, I'll learn that lesson. I don't have to be afraid. I can walk forward. I'm spiritually sensitive, but I'm not waiting for God to tell me the future about a bunch of things. I'm going to make a courageous decision. You might not think it's very courageous, but hey, I had to spend some money. I don't like doing that. Expect the Spirit to speak through His Word and to work in your life, but don't expect Him to tell you the future about coffee pots or spouses or jobs. He can speak about those things. He can. We talked about that last week. If he does so, he'll do it to comfort you. But don't be paralyzed. Be prayerful. As we've already said, decision-making should make you more prayerful, not less. So, spiritually sensitive, biblically discerning, courageously decisive. Most mornings, my aim is to sit with the Lord. And I do this sometimes in the afternoon. I've told you I set an alarm for 101 and that I might stop in the middle of my day and pray. When you sit there, here's what I do. I acknowledge God's presence and I say, you're here with me. And he is here with us right now. I believe that I'm your child and that you love us, love me. That you're with me. And I usually go to the Lord's prayer and I say, Father, Make your name great through my life. Not my will, but yours be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it You get that. And then I sit, usually for one minute, in silence. Not asking, but right now I'm listening. And while I'm listening, here's some of the things that happen. Regularly, I will experience what is more than likely the prodding or the pressing of the Holy Spirit in my life. Here are some of the things that I believe he gives impressions about. People come to my mind to pray for. He brings some sins in my heart to mind that I can repent of. Sometimes he brings areas to mind that I should be cautious about. Sometimes he brings ways to love others to mind. Sometimes he brings passages of scripture to comfort me. Or that I could use to comfort others. Sometimes he brings creative ideas that will help me lead the church or my family. I don't know if it's always him. No audible voice. Just this pressing. This sense. This bringing to mind something that wasn't there before. But. If it's pushing me to trust Him and to love others, then it's best to assume that uh, considering others and trusting Jesus more is not on Satan's agenda. So I'm going to say it's probably the Lord pressing in on my heart. Why do I share this with you? Because although I want us to be courageously decisive, I want us to be spiritually sensitive. This dear brother who shared an insight from the scriptures last week, he was spiritually sensitive. 
I believe in community groups. I believe in this moment right now, the Spirit of God is at work. He is stirring things in you to not only encourage you, but to encourage your neighbor. I wholeheartedly believe He is pressing in on your heart. I just am so fearful that we fall off the horse on one side or the other, that we become massively mechanical and we aren't prayerful in decision-making, or we become so kind of hyper-spiritualized that we are paralyzed in decision-making. And I just want to say, expect that the Holy Spirit of God is working all the time, all over the place. He promises to speak primarily through His Word. Don't be paralyzed. Walk forward in faith. Be prayerful. Dear friends, it's a balancing act, but that, that is wisdom. And as you spend time in God's Word, He will not only make you spiritually sensitive, He'll make you biblically discerning. How do we grow in the Bible? Spend time in His Word day by day. Attend corporate gatherings. The time in God's Word through the sermons, singing God's Word, those things shape your heart. They deepen your understanding. Community groups, they should always be about the Word and prayer and caring for one another and stirring up one another to love each other and to love the lost. That's what we do when we gather. We should help each other trust God. Biblically discerning. I'm excited about Pastor Ron opening up Romans 12 next week so I can learn from Romans 12. We're also going to be doing Bible studies. I'll be doing a, um, a Bible study called Equip where we go through the book of 1 Timothy and we walk through that together and it's meant to teach us how to be disciples and make disciples. If you want to be a part of that, come and talk to me about it. Pastor Travis leads a Tuesday morning Bible study. If you want to be a part of that in person or virtually, Pastor Travis leads a great Bible study through a book of the Bible. There's women's Bible studies that are happening. We need to grow in our biblical knowledge. In two weeks, our kids will be going back to class on August the 21st. Youth are starting back soon, all so that we can grow as an entire TCC church family in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be biblically discerning, and we need to be courageously decisive. As God forms in us, He helps us be decisive. How does He do it? He does it through counsel and circumstances. He does it through love. Just remember, don't make decisions on your own. That's the counsel piece. Don't make decisions on your own. Seek spirit-filled counsel, especially from the church. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So even though time in the Word gives you more confidence in decision-making, we need counsel. Yes, pastors are available for you to seek counsel from. But so are tons of people in this room who are wise and spiritually discerning. Remember, not all counsel is equal. Don't just seek counsel from those that agree with you. That's very easy to do. You know what they're going to say before you ask. So yeah, I saw counsel. And they're just rubber stamping what you wanted them to say anyway. I've been guilty of that. I get it. Don't just seek counsel to agree with you. Talk with a few trusted people who have disagreed with you in the past and you know that they love you. So rank the highest counsel as spiritual counsel, but also counsel from your local church. Why is that? Not only do you have the kind of the same theology and common worldview and vision, 
but you have covenanted together with this people, which means your major decisions, they affect this people. They don't just affect you. I don't make medium and major decisions without talking to my wife. We talk about these things together. It's what brings a healthy relationship and my decisions affect her. And when it comes to the major decisions of life, remember our decisions. We've covenanted with this local church family. Our decisions affect this family. So may we remember, wisdom is found in an abundance of counselors. Remember, a wise person listens to advice. So, you're going to make a decision, spend time in God's Word. Worship Him there. If a decision clearly breaks one of God's commands, don't do it. No matter how much financial benefit or how much you think it might relieve your stress initially, if it breaks God's commands, don't do it. As you're making decisions, seek others for counsel. And also, just stay mindful of the circumstances around you. Circumstances are not throwaway. I was talking to one dear brother who Uh, recently made a decision to take a promotion and go into a job and then after getting there he realized it wasn't healthy for him or his family and so he was wrestling through what in the world should he do and so he actually ends up going back and trying to uh, go back to his old kind of situation and, and it all seemed to it all worked out well but it was through circumstances that God helped him see this was just not best through the word through prayer through counsel but through circumstances that God sometimes guides us. Circumstances can be, not always, but can be channels that God uses to guide our heart. Finally, the agenda is love. Love has to be the grid as we make decisions. We have to ask ourselves, what would love do or is my aim love? Why do we have to ask that? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 says this, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not what? Love, I am nothing. The major sign that the Spirit of God is at work in the heart is if He has made you Loving. Many decisions are made when you ask, what would love do? Parents, you get this, right? When the child comes into your life, God like opens up a whole new category in your heart. A whole new category and capacity to love someone you didn't realize you could love this way. That's what parenting is. You're fine. This is what family does. We listen to music while we have a sermon. (laughs) We needed a break. I'm trusting the Lord. You're fine. (laughs) Don't you dare apologize. We're golden. I trust that the Lord wants us to have a mental break. Okay. Parents, you know it. You know what love is. And it's that kind of love for your child 
that leads you many times to do exhausting things, right? Things that were you not a parent, you might do other things. You might really like to sit in the couch or watch this movie or spend your money to eat at a really nice place. Instead, no, you're spending your money on gas so you can drive them to meet with their friends or to go to some, you know, sporting event or some music thing or some theater thing and your life begins to love them and that's how you're making decisions because love is not centering your life on your kids but love is sacrifice. Love must be the primary grid for decision making. That's why in Galatians 5.22 the fruit of the Spirit is what's the first one? Love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You're walking with the Spirit when you walk in love. So let's take career choices for an example. Should you be a lawyer? Should you be in the medical field? Should you be a teacher? Should you work with your hands and be a contractor or a landscape worker? Should you be a designer? Should you be a computer programmer, a software engineer, some type of manager? What career you choose is not the primary point. The point is, is love my aim? Is this career going to help me love my neighbor as myself? Does this career help me provide for my family in love? It is a perfectly wonderful question to say, do I love this and do I have the skills for it? That is a gift from God. I'm just saying don't allow it to be so practical only. Let it be, is this loving? And when you're at your job, it makes it valuable when you say, I get to love somebody today. That's what makes your job valuable. Not that it would be a ministry job, a professional ministry job, or you're a pastor. That's not a second tier or a better tier of ministry. No, love is the best tier of ministry. Love with your life. And don't do it for your name's sake. Do it for God's. And in so doing, we will be spiritually sensitive, biblically discerning, courageously decisive. So now I end with these things. When you go to make a decision, there are tons of barriers that we run into. I talked to a couple the other day, and here's the first barrier. What happens when a married couple can't agree on what to do? It's one thing to make a decision for yourself. It's another decision when you can't figure out what to do together. One wants to go this way, one wants to go that way. That happens with roommates, that happens in marriage, happens in the church. What happens when a decision has to be made by two or more people? How do we make decisions when we don't see eye to eye? We have different cultures, we have different politics, we have different upbringings, there's different ages, there's different preferences. When you have to make a decision with others and you see things opposite, remember this. The primary reasons these tensions exist is not because God is upset with you. The primary reason these tensions exist is so that you can honor another person and tell them your opinion matters to me because you matter to me. When you're at an impasse, 
It is an honoring thing to not just listen to get your point across, but to really seek to understand what that other person is trying to say. At the end of the day, you might not agree, might not have solved anything, but you need to remember this. The disagreement or the impasse is so that you can communicate, I care for you and I want to listen to you. You're valuable to me. It should lead us to pray more when we're at these impasses. And impasses are really helpful spots to bring a few trusted spiritual people into the decision making. I encourage you with that. In a larger group setting, sometimes we just have to submit and go along with the majority or follow the leadership as long as they're not leading us into sin. We've all had to do that, right? You've had to do it at work. You have to do it at the church. You just have to do it. You won't always get what you want, and honestly, that's a good thing. Because you're not God, and I'm not either. Recently, we made a decision in our community group, and the decision was basically made. It was a wonderful, uh, what night will we meet? That can be a very difficult decision. And everyone was great to ask, what serves the most involved? The aim was love. These are some principles. But dear friends, make no mistake, another barrier is just the sin that's in our heart. If you're running headlong, boldly into sin, it will affect your decision making. Walk in God's ways. Sin is like a severe eye infection that has so much gunk in the eye you cannot see. And only God can come and take it and clean it, forgive you, and make you whole and healthy so that you can see the best way forward. Take your sin to the Lord and allow Him to clean your spiritual eyes. Finally, when we walk in suffering, that can really destroy our decision making. You know what I mean. You know when you suffer, hurt, pain, it really clouds the decision-making process. I really encourage those who are experiencing suffering not to make major life decisions if they can help it. But as one person said, to live is to suffer. Augustine said this, God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. We've all got to suffer. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When you're walking in suffering, just know it is not the cruelty of God who has finally messed up. It is the kindness of God to speak to you in a way so that you can hear how much he can be trusted even in the hardest times. Remember Romans, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Absolutely nothing. So what's the point? Trust Him. Trust Him. You can trust Him. The whole process is about trust. God does not want you to try to guess what the future is before it comes. 
He does not want you sitting passively waiting for an audible voice. He doesn't want you trying to figure out some future secret will of God for you. He wants you to trust that he loves you and that he's guiding and working all things according to the counsel of his will. He has a plan for you. He loves you. He's not playing hide and seek. He has told you that what life begins with is seeking him and knowing him through the word. Decision making is reminding yourself and others that our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is working for you and in you and through you, and he can be trusted. So let's treasure Christ together in decision making through worship and wisdom. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I thank you that you're with us. And I ask that as we sing this last song, as we spend this last little bit, having all of this wash over us, my prayer is that you would cause us to trust you. Father, I pray that right now, in this moment, we would acknowledge an area where we have not trusted you, where we struggle to trust you, and that we would just confess that you are good. We would confess that you are loving, that you are kind and gracious. Father, please, Help us to trust you, to love you, and to follow you with our lives. If there are some, Father, in this room that have never surrendered their life to Jesus, I pray that they would no longer harden their heart, but today they would ask Jesus to save them, to come and live inside their heart. They would confess their sin in Jesus as their only way to find forgiveness and freedom. Father, make us wise through your word. Help us to walk in your ways. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Father, help us. Help us to abide in you and rest in you, I pray, O oh God. We pray this in Jesus' name.